Okay, hello and welcome to a new episode of the Commerce Talks podcast. Today, live from the Shop Talks London. And I welcome Julie Mathers from Flora and Fauna. Not only, uh, not the only company we are talking uh, today, but I read on LinkedIn that uh, Flora and Fauna is the leading brand when it comes to Norwegian beauty retail products. But you're going to explain in a minute. So <laughs> welcome to the show. Please introduce yourself a bit and then let's talk about Flora and Fauna. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, um, I'm Julie Mathers and yeah, I'm the founder of Flora and Fauna. And um, yes, we sell all vegan beauty home, gosh, anything you can think of. That's what we sell at, at FNF. And I shorten it to FNF as well. So I might use that a little bit. And I, I founded Flora and Fauna. I've worked in retail for years and years and years and e-commerce for a long time. And I founded Flora and Fauna about eight, eight years ago. And we now have around about 10,000 products, all online, 10,000 products, lots of different brands as well, including our own brand too. Okay, and uh, what, what is it exactly, vegan retail product? So what, what kind of problem are you solving? Okay, so our products are completely cruelty-free, so no animal testing, plus also no animal ingredients as well. So um, I'll give you a, a really scary fact. It's just something that people go, ew. Um, there's an ingredient called carmine. Now, carmine's used a lot in lipsticks and things like that. It's actually crushed beetles. So it's really horrible. So whether you're vegan or not, you kind of go, I really am not that interested in putting crushed beetles on my lips. Mm. So all of our products are free of animal ingredients, animal bio-ingredients, um, and also use natural ingredients as well. So you're not having putting anything on your skin or your lips or your face or whatever that is has any sort of harsh chemicals. What are your core products, your best sellers, just to give an, just to get a better a better um, uh, a better picture for the, for the listener? Do you sell cream like Nivea uh, in, in Europe, for example? No, <laughs> not Nivea. We sell um, we, we gosh, some of our best products: bamboo toothbrushes. Um, so we sell a lot of zero waste products. So shampoo bars. I'm a huge fan of shampoo bars. They are all in compostable packaging. You don't have any um, uh, liquid. They're not liquid at all. It's a solid bar. So we sell heaps and heaps of those. We also, some of our other best sellers, gosh, I'm thinking off the top of my head, compostable dishcloths. There you go. So it's a dishcloth that you can use and you can chuck it in the garden at the end. And eight years ago, um, have you started already direct to consumer or was your journey uh, mainly on uh, a wholesale retail channels? All D2C. We did a little bit of wholesale and then we realized we weren't very good at it. And so all D2C. And can, can you, uh, can you um, guide us a bit through your D2C journey? Like eight years ago when you started your online shop, your F&F um, online shop um, for the Australian markets, how did you get the attention for the first thousand customers? And, and how... <laughs> How loyal have they been? Have <laughs> yeah. they been? Is, are they still in an active cohort, the first thousand customers, or are they now on a cheaper product line with a competitor? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, gosh, how do we get those first few customers? I think when we first started, it was family, friends, and anyone who would listen to us. But then at the time, we used social media a lot. And I think that was a time when ROAS was high, CPA was low, and, um, and we could really utilize social media. And also Instagram 
not even sure if it was owned by Facebook at the time, but it was a much easier platform to use. True. Eight years ago, that was a big time of Facebook and, and yeah. Instagram, especially for those uh, yeah. products. Was it, what was the um, uh, average basket size uh, in this kind of business? Oh, so initially, our basket size was about 30 bucks, but that was because we had very few products. Australian dollars. Australian dollars. Yes, Australian dollars. Um, as we increased the range, so we started off with 500 products. We now have over, it's over 11,000 products actually. So the basket size now is around about $75. So it's apps, it's increased. And that was a big part of our strategy. We wanted to increase the basket size. Okay, the the, um, the VGM products or like the more direct to consumer um, based products I've seen in Europe in the US markets usually made their way from direct to consumer channels a bit into the wholesale channels because I saw yeah. many, many customers are still trusting the wholesale uh, uh, chains. They want to have that in their favorite drugstore. They want to see that boots here in the UK, for example. Otherwise, they are very hard to reach. You said you're still 100% D2C or 90 plus percent D2C with FNF, but I imagine like in the last eight years, there must have been many retailers trying to knock on your door and say, please list your products in my store. Well, because we sold other third, so we, we were that retailer. So at FNF, we sold about 340 different brands. So we were kind of that, that middleman. Which has, its, which has its challenges, particularly around margin. But um, so we were, the ones, we were the ones knocking on everyone else's doors and saying, hello, can I stock your products? And we were becoming that favorite retailer for, for customers and really building a community so that people came and shopped with us. So oh, Okay, so for me to understand just... Um, um, so. Have you been then more in the distributing business or is, is, is F&F really producing uh, products under their own brand? So 10%, 10% of sales is own brand. 90% is us buying off. So we don't do dropship or anything like that. We buy off other brands and then we sell on to customers. But they all ship from our warehouse. So just like... And, uh, and how much of the brands um, you are selling, not exclusive, uh, exclusively, are also listed in other retail channels? Most, most. I think the days of exclusivity are hard to come by now, unless you're a very, very big retailer. And why did the customers then starting the brands from your online presence and not from the retail chain next door? Well, a few reasons. One, community. So. We were the, well, we're the largest eco store in Australia. Um, we're also, I believe, the largest vegan store in the world. And when customers come to us, they don't have to, they don't have to sort of think, oh, hang on a minute, is this, is this a good product versus this being a good product? They just know everything that we sell is vegan, cruelty-free, eco-friendly, such and so forth. So we've done the thinking for them in that space. We've also built a massive community. And I think that has been really key to us is just building that community of our customers who all believe in the same purpose, values, and vision as us. And they come to us going, hang on, show me something new. Give me, give me some advice. Give me tips. Help me get on my journey, whatever that may be. And I think as we see this conscious consumer really rise retailers like us have done really well from it and so and we also have other really important e-com things as well like great rewards program 
um, really quick shipping, all of the stuff that, that you just expect. Mm. What is in the buying frequency of a typical consumer? Now, with the early basket of 30 uh, bucks, I, I, I would guess buying frequency was rather high because you've sold many products or you've offered many uh, uh, products. Yeah. You have, you, have you seen the customer like, I don't know, four times a year or even, even, even more? Yeah, it's about every two months on average. And then we have our VIP group of customers who are our, we look after those and do anything and everything for them. And they'll, they buy about every two weeks. And would you tell us a bit about the, the revenue size and how many people worked at uh, FNF? Yeah, so FNF is about $20 million revenue. And there are about 50 people that work at ish, ish. I'm loose on my numbers now, but there's about 50 people that work at Flora and Fauna. So. 50 people, that sounds like a very low number, especially when you started with um, Instagram and Facebook. And I, I, can, uh, I can recall a couple of D2C brands where just the online marketing team for Instagram and Facebook is like 50 people. And you said <laughs> you've convinced the people with like storytelling on those yes. channels in yeah. the beginning. So uh, why, why is it so lean? Oh, this is when you have founders that do a lot. <laughs> I think we probably did about five jobs each. And um, part of it is we, I mean, I'm a big believer in keeping things lean because the bigger you have it, the more process, the more red tape, the more sign off and all of that sort of stuff. So if you can keep it lean, do keep it lean, but also use experts where you need to use experts. So if you need to use an agency because they're much better than, than you could bring in-house, use that. So in terms of our digital marketing, we worked with um, agencies, probably the same in the UK and Europe, but recruiting is really hard and finding people with great skills is even harder. So in which case, and you go, okay, if I can't bring it in-house and I've got to, got to outsource. But I'm a big fan of keeping things simple. Okay, but let, let's focus a bit on your, on your core business. So I imagine there's like now a website, um, the yeah. FNF website with um, 10,000 products. 10% are exclusively traded or even produced uh, by your team. 90% uh, are products that you would also find um, on other uh, retail channels. Uh, is it still possible today to, um, to go out with a marketing campaign with Google, um, ad, uh, with Google um, 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 Ads, for example, to win a customer in this category, especially if, we have like com uh, if you have competition on your products, and to earn money with the first purchase? Because when you started like eight, nine years ago, and I tried to recall it like how it was in Europe, yeah. the goal was always to be profitable with the first purchase. Is it still possible in this area? I think you have to look at lifetime value on this because the, the cost of acquisition is so huge now that you can't do it for that singular purchase. You've got to do it to get someone on board to pull through to that lifetime value. And that's what we've seen. We've seen that customers, 40% of our customers return within two months. But you do not do it for that singular purchase. You have to do it knowing that that customer will come back or at least 40% of them will. And how has your online marketing strategy changed then? Is this, uh, I think on a conference like Shop Talk like a couple of years ago, before the pandemic, everything was saying now it's the time of uh, uh, CRM. Now, now yeah. you have to really go into super tailored email strategy, super tailored um, messenger strategy. Please reach out to your VIP customers via WhatsApp and sell them uh, even more. Yeah, I, I think... It's interesting because something I was talking about a couple of years ago was we, we, we were a business that grew up on Facebook and Instagram and to a lesser extent Google really. 
and I always hated the fact that I gave so much money to Facebook and Google. And it's a risk. It's a huge risk when your marketing strategy is focused on kind of really two key elements. So something that we've done over the years is we've focused quite a lot on physical events as well, which can be seen as small fry, but it's really important from a brand awareness perspective. Um, and we also doing, well, we did quite a lot around PR. So there's different things. I think it you've got to split your marketing into two. If you're purely looking at retention, then absolutely CRM and retention and you know all of that stuff is very, very important and you, you can't get that stuff wrong. There's also just giving people a really good experience. What, what, what is physical events in your world? Oh, uh, so it'd be things like this really, expos, getting out there in front of customers. There's events that you, in um, Australia, a great example is World Vegan Day. On World Vegan Day, 30,000 people turn up World What? Vegan Day. Yeah. That's an expo. It's an expo in Australia. So it's a huge, huge market for vegans and veganism. So that's, that's 30,000 people that you mm. can get your brand in front of. I'm very happy to get my brand in front of 30,000 people in one day. And, and I guess if you started with um, Instagram and Facebook, you also started very early with influencer marketing, which was cheap back then. I guess it was yeah. also cheap in Australia. And right now what we're hearing from many, from many companies, it's like... It's unpayable now. So yeah. the very good influencers focusing on their own brands. They would bring out their own vegan whatever. Yeah. And the uh, and, 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 and the mid-sized micro influencers would charge you 20k for just one story <laughs> on, on Instagram for 50,000 followers. So that's what I've heard. Yeah. What, what's your perspective on that? We, we, we actually so we actually never worked with influencers. What we did do is we worked with our customers. So Over the years, people have been saying, why don't you work with influencers? Why don't you work with influencers? And we're a brand that's incredibly, um, uh, we believe in our values. And one of our values is being authentic. And I'm kind of going, well, if we're giving us someone a product to spruik it on Instagram and we pay them money, but they couldn't care less about that product, that's not very authentic. That's not us living our values. So we never did it. But what we were finding is that our customers talked about us anyway. So it was oh, it'd be about this time last year. And I said, fine. Why don't we just go and get our customers to be ambassadors instead? And so we create, we, we sent out a competition, basically sent out a call to action, if you like, for our customers and said, we are looking for 10 to 15 brand ambassadors. You don't get paid. You will get some free product. And, but most importantly, you have to be a customer of Flora and Fauna And we want you, and we want to engage you. And we had 400 applications for it. And they had to submit photos and videos and da, 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 heaps of applications for this. So what we did was turn it on its head a bit and go, let's celebrate our customers. You're from the UK and uh, yes. you're obviously following the, uh, the retail um, culture in the UK, maybe in the US, and most likely all this uh, nice content pieces you can get from Shop Talks and others. <laughs> um, How would we? How do we need to imagine like the Australian market? Is this way behind? So it's a very different market, a, a very different century in, in e-commerce, <laughs> or is is it on par with uh, UK retailer strategies, for example? Yeah, I think it's. I think there are some things that are really on par. Some things are a little bit different. So when it comes to um, when it comes to delivery and logistics and all that kind of stuff, we are behind. We are if. When we can get a parcel delivered from the US or the UK quicker 
then we can get one delivered from our own city, then we know we've got a problem, which is where we're at currently. So logistics is really challenged. No, but that's easy to solve. You just put your, you, you install your warehouse in, in Europe or in the US. I know, send, I know, I know. Send from a, there. Yeah, exactly. It's probably a better idea, actually. It's actually a really good idea. <laughs> um, so there's some things like that, but then there are other areas where I think customers are really forward thinking. Sustainability, as an example, I think is more advanced in Australia um, and customers wanting sustainability and purpose and they're, they're really conscious shoppers. Um, so that is more ahead of, ahead of where we what are one, What I'm wondering is um, so many very successful uh, retailers um, increased their um, share of exclusive brands or product they are producing over the last years um, to like 20, 30, 40, some have even 80% because yeah. they've learned um, if you're not controlling the brand, if you're not controlling the exclusivity, then you're kind of in a pricing war. Yeah. You cannot win eventually. Yeah. And the customer, regardless what the customer is saying about how loyal they are to yeah. FNF or to another brand, they're actually shopping where the product is available and where it's cheapest and where, where it's, where it's going to be delivered next day. Um, so I, I'm wondering why, why hasn't your exclusivity share grown much higher over the last years? Well, it has. So part of our strategy is, was, is to grow that part of the business. Because we're there going, we, we saw how, um, how valuable that part of the business is, how much we did need to control it. And there are things that have happened over the years where we've gone, hang on a minute, this isn't, this isn't okay. We need, we need to be in control of that piece. So, so that's absolutely part of the part of the strategy going forward we need more private label we need to be able to control that and if we're selling things as simple as toothpaste or a shampoo bar or whatever it is it should be our brand and what we've managed to do is build a really trusted brand so you stick so either you develop private labels and you call them something different or you stick your own brand on it whichever um, but yeah, it's a really important part of it. That's part of the reason, part of the reason um, we sold the business was to get investment to actually grow that area. How easy did it, uh, is it to expand from the Australian markets into other markets like New Zealand, Indonesia, or I don't know what's the closest markets from yeah. your point of view. Oh, New Zealand's pretty easy. Yeah. <laughs> you just ship it from Australia. Um, no, I think it's, it's all, it's easy and hard. You've got, you've still got to know that market. I mean, with Shopify as an example, we, we're on Magento at Flora and Fauna, but with Shopify, sure, you can launch localized stores and all of that good stuff. You've still got to be able to market to them. And then there's that logistics piece. But I think, I mean, even here, I've seen so many different um, providers who can help with whether that's logistics or marketing or whatever it is. The world's becoming few, fewer barriers, basically. Um, and then the stuff that, that even sort of other things like uh, duty and taxes and stuff like that, that's all manageable. Um, but you've really got to get the logistics piece right. Either have a 3PL or a warehouse here or where, whichever market you're going into or just have someone who you're partnered with who's very, very good. Hmm. Uh, and and um, you've sold the business uh, yes. um, a um, couple of months um, ago, but still I'm usually asking this question in the podcast. So. Um, what was your biggest bottleneck from growing the business from the now 20 million into like 40 million, 60 million? Is it like HR? Is it warehouse uh, uh, um, space, logistics personnel, advertising money? 
production capabilities for more exclusive brands? What was it? Yeah, all of the above. Um, it, the biggest thing, I mean, the, the reason, because initially we didn't actually want to sell the business. We just wanted to get investment. And the investment that we were looking for was to invest in effectively three things to, to catapult us to the next stage. One was private label and to do our own brands. One was team. We just needed some really good people. And one was marketing. And we needed to get out there. And that was having localized websites, but also getting that marketing out there. And on being prepared to either break even or really look for that lifetime value on those customers, which costs you up front. So, um, so yeah, it's that those three things were the things that were going to get us to the to the next stage. And who bought it? The business? A firm called BWX, which is a um, or they're a, a natural beauty manufacturer basically so they have a few brands you might know them sukin andalou naturals there's a few little brands anyway they bought they bought flora and fauna as a um, as an e-commerce platform which also is helpful to them because it they can sell the private their private label brands through flora and fauna but you've been to Shoprox uh, because you're still in the business, I guess. Otherwise, you could spend your time uh, on, <laughs> on nicer, uh, on nicer um, uh, venues. On the so beach. <laughs> for example, in Australia. So yeah. what have you been doing since selling the business? So, so I'm not very good at not doing a lot. So, um, so basically, I've gone and bought another business, a little business called Snuggle Honey Kids, which is a baby business. Um, that was started around 2016. Uh, and the really, really very interesting, given what we've spoken about, it own brand business, completely own everything, um, the the product, and and we wholesale. So fifty percent of the business is to retailers, and fifty percent is direct customer. And bought that business, joined up with a private equity company, and we bought it together. And now I'm now running running that. And the founders, the founders wanted to exit. Um, so they've exited, and now this is my new my new challenge. What products exactly? It's baby it's baby products. It's baby clothing. It's baby wraps and swaddles ah, and accessories okay. and stuff like and that. And is this is this a brand that is already uh, um, successful abroad? So no, well, toe dipped in the water. So we absolutely have retailers in the uk in many about 30 different countries so we've got retailers in 30 different countries but we don't have localized websites and we've not gone into other countries with gusto so uh, okay. yes that's part of the plan let's focus on the channel strategy for for this new business so i guess you would uh, you would like uh, to even uh, increase the direct to consumer um, share like from a strategic point of view but what is very, very um, um, yeah, easy to do also in Australia is just to sell the stuff on Amazon, right? And use Amazon as a go-to-market yeah. uh, channel um, to gen move this brand into, I don't know, South Africa, Europe, wherever you want uh, uh, to yeah. go. What's your view on this strategy? I think, I think we need to make sure that we really understand who we want to partner with in other countries. Amazon is absolutely one option um, and it might be the right option for certain different countries. It equally might not be the right option. So some of the things that Amazon will talk about is you suddenly can't do promotions on your own website and, and they're going, hang on a minute, this is the, this is the tail wagging the dog here. 
So I think we, if, if we went down that route, it would have to be a very measured view. I don't know. What do you think? <laughs> throw it back to you. Um, yeah, I've been in this Amazon business now for a long time. There was never been a brand uh, uh, profiting uh, on a long-term uh, mm. um, uh, uh, view. So Amazon was the only winner. Um, it's kind mm. of a prisoner's dilemma. You're always losing uh, yeah. in the end. So having a clear strategy, uh, maybe leveraging the reach of Amazon to go into new markets uh, while building direct consumer uh, um, uh, um, as your main strategy mm. might work. But most of the brand, and we've worked with hundreds of very big brands, uh, um, would say if they could choose not having Amazon in the market anymore, they would definitely opt for not having Amazon because it's uh, it's a monopoly in many yeah. uh, categories and um, brands are always losing. And this um, it's this kind of proverb that um, Jeff Bezos uh, is attributed to that uh, your margin is my opportunity and it's still... It's still true. Uh, I, I can only advise not to work with Amazon um, yeah. at, at all. <laughs> I've, I've seen so many, so many yeah. brands fail uh, yeah. on that strategy. It's, it's easy in the first year and maybe cool in the first year, but it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's a dead end uh, and, and, and something where most brands cannot get out. Yeah. Uh, um, of this. But it's not about me. It's about your strategy here. No, no, no. no it's, really, it's, really, it's really interesting. It's, like, it's good to hear that, though, because I think you can kind of get on the gravy train of that sort of what stuff. What is the Amazon market share in Australia? Tiny. It's, it's very, very... Because they only came into Australia three, three or four years ago. So it's... I think the numbers I've heard is they've done about a billion dollars in sales, but... Okay. Here, here it's still know. big. In UK, it's huge. It's huge. In, in Germany, it's huge. I, I would even say in the Central European market... Most of the e-commerce initiatives you're going to see from uh, brands and, and retailers are driven by the fear of Amazon. Right. Uh, very few are driven by ambition uh, yeah. and, and creating a better product, better user experience, but, uh, but, it, but it could be very different in the market. That's why it's so interesting to look abroad and see what's, uh, um, uh, what's going on there yeah. and, and what is kind of the service level available because Amazon, Amazon definitely increased the um, server level in the market. So they ship faster, um, yeah. they had a much better return policy, um, um, they had a much better user experience, even the after sales process and all the other retailers needed to adapt. Yeah. That is most likely something that even uh, would help the uh, um, Australian market. But we can uh, continue this conversation after this podcast, so I will tell you <laughs> some examples uh, no, that's awesome. how, that's to, awesome. how to grow a brand. Uh, thank you for being you. on uh, Commerce Talks, uh, um, you, and uh, see you in 10 minutes here at the booth party, <laughs> yeah, I would <exactly>. say. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much.